Yes, you may be seated. Good morning. My name is Kyle Cox. And for those of you who weren't here last time that I spoke, a little bit about myself. I uh, graduated from A&M in 2013. Yes, one. Last service, there was no one and I was sad. Um, so I graduated in 2013. I, uh, I started working at Grace as an, in, an intern, what's now the Fellows Program. If you're familiar with our Fellows Program and have since come on staff. And uh, this semester was particularly good to me because I got married two months ago, yeah, to uh, this lovely lady. This is Chamilla Panilla. Uh, no, it is not. This is Chamilla Cox. I have since changed her name from Chamilla Panilla to Chamilla Cox, which is kind of a bummer, quite honestly. However, there is a petition going on to keep the Panilla as the middle name. And if you see her, I'm not going to tell you where she's seated, but if you see her, I would really appreciate it if you went up and said, I would like your name to stay Panilla in the middle. So uh, again, not going to tell you where she is. <laughs> so our plan next year is to go overseas with crew. So we're still waiting to hear from that. And uh, that's just the next exciting step in our life. Um, and I will say it's been exciting living with my wife for many reasons. One of those reasons being I have moved from the sweaty, musty smell of guy roommates into smells of vanilla and uh, strawberry and lavender, which is apparently a smell, um, and just many arrays of sensations that are pleasing to the nostrils. And I didn't realize that until I would go back to my house and like visit my uh, former roommates, and I would be like, yeah, it just smells different. And I didn't realize that when I was living with them. And I will say, I loved my time with my roommates. I loved my college years living with roommates. I loved my post-college years. Most all of them are some of my best friends. There was one year where, like, I don't talk to any of them anymore, but we're past that. But most of them were best friends. Most of them were groomsmen in my wedding, or at the very least, a part of my wedding. Uh, Rob, who's just leading you in worship, was one of my roommates. Many of them are here. Love my roommates. And I particularly love the shenanigans that we would get ourselves into. Some just because we were kind of dumb and we would be like, I wonder what would happen if we would jump off that. And we would jump. But other situations would just happen upon us. And I remember one of these situations was my roommates and I, we were sitting in our living room just enjoying life. And suddenly we heard something in our walls. We heard this like climbing and movement. And we didn't really think anything of it. We thought... I, you know, it's probably just a raccoon or a possum that just skittled on in there. Skittled's a word I made up. It skittled on in there. And so we didn't think much of it. Well, two months into this, we thought, all right, we should probably tell our landlord. And so we went and we talked to our landlord. Best landlord I've ever had by far. You should all meet him. Great guy. Um, but within an hour, he was working on fixing the problem. So he gets an exterminator. This guy goes up in our attic and he's there for like a couple minutes. And he comes down and he was like, well, you for sure have lizards. And I remember my roommates thinking, unless these lizards are like Komodo dragons or at least iguanas, we're not really concerned. So we tell our landlord this. This is not a good answer for him. So he sends another exterminator. This guy looks around. He's up there for a while, too. He comes down and he says, yeah, you have a rat infestation, um, which is pretty disgusting. And so we ask him. So we, we're talking like 5 to 10, and he says, no, 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 that's a, that's a rat family. 10 to 20 is a rat colony. A rat infestation is 20 to 40, and we're on the upper end of that. And what's funny is it took about four months, five months to get these guys out of there. They finally, they're gone now. Rob is still living in that house. They're gone, he, he told me. But what was funny is about a month into it, we just kind of got used to them. 
You know, we just kind of, you know, what are you going to do? They shouldn't be there, but what are you going to do? And it was funny. We would have pe- people over. They'd watch a movie, and they would hear, squeak, squeak. I don't know. That's not a good rat imp- impersonation. But they would hear squeaking and stuff in the walls, and they freak out. We'd be like, oh, no, no, don't worry. It's just the rats. They're fine. They're not hurting anybody. And it wasn't until what I believe to be the rat Armageddon, or the rat world war, if you will, that I, our emergency peaked to get these guys out of there. My roommate and I, we were, we were just in the kitchen, and we heard to what I exaggerate not, I believe to be the sound of 20 jaguars growling and viciously attacking each other. And this went on for a while, and it was horrifying. Horrifying. <laughs> And so after this, our emergency to get these guys out of here just peaked, and we wanted them gone. And so by the time they left, I was getting married a couple months after that. And I went from, I went from a house with rats and must and sweat to a house of strawberry and lavender and vanilla and chamilla panilla. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I'll be here all week. And so... I didn't realize in the moment with the rats that there was something much better in my future. And so why do I say that? I say that because as Christians, I think we recognize that there's genuinely something wrong with the world. There is a real brokenness. Sin has oppressed this world and continues to oppress this world. And what happens is sometimes we can just learn to live with it. We can shrug our shoulders and recognize that it's bad and it shouldn't be there. But we think, I mean, what are you going to do? And it isn't until we turn on the news and we see another tragedy, another death, another painful reminder that there has to be something better than this world. There has to, we don't want this for eternity. And as a culture, we love stories about an underdog facing an oppressive regime. We love the story of the Lord of the Rings with Frodo and who I believe to be the real hero, Sam, take the ring to Mordor and they vanquish the dark side in Middle Earth and dark side Star Wars. They vanquish the bad guys of Middle Earth. I don't know what they're called, but we like those stories. We like the stories of the underdog vanquishing the oppressive regime. I was reading this week in the Mission Network News that right now in Uganda, there is one nurse to every 5,000 people. And these witch doctors, they know this. And so they've gone into these cities, they've gone into these towns, and they start promising these people uh, prosperity and health. And these people, they're buying into it, and so they're giving them their money. They're giving them their food so that they can heal them of their disease. But what's happening is these witch doctors, they're killing these people. They're taking their money and they're killing them. And so these Christians in Uganda, these local Christians, they said, we're not going to let you do that anymore. And so they built medical schools and they started training these Christians on how to meet the need physically for these people and also spiritually. And it's to the point where these witch doctors are even burning down their medical schools and persecuting these Christians, but they keep coming back because they're saying, we're not going to let you oppress the people any longer. We like to hear stories about that. There is an oppression of sin over us. And so we look at that and we say, we want things to change. We want a new leader. We want a new system. We want things to be different than they are now because right now there's so much pain in the world. We want a new world. And so this is what we're addressing this morning. Um, So as you know, we've been in the book of Matthew this semester. And we've been back and forth in the Sermon on the Mount. We spent a lot of time in the Sermon on the Mount. And so I know we took a break last week from that. But we will be back in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6. And Jesus in this chapter will give us one of the most recognized and acclaimed verses in Scripture, the Lord's Prayer. 
And the context of Jesus giving the Lord's Prayer is he is responding to the hypocrisy of these hypocrites who've been praying out loud in the streets to gain attention spiritually. And so he's saying, no, don't do that. Pray intimately with the Father. Have a real prayer with the Father. And then he gives us the structure on how to pray. Now, the commentaries that I've read all agreed this prayer isn't supposed to be a magic prayer where we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven. You know, every time there's something wrong, it's a structure on how to pray. So, for example, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're not saying that. We're not saying, God, give us this day our daily bread. What we're saying is, Lord, I pray that you would provide for us because I just lost my job and I don't know what we're going to do. And so Jesus is giving us a structure on how to pray. And as I was reading through the Lord's Prayer, I realized you could really do a sermon on each verse of the Lord's Prayer. So I decided I'm not going to tackle the whole thing in one talk. But I looked at verse 10 when he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth that it is in heaven. And I I read through that. And in in our series, Follow the King in Matthew, I thought, I want to answer the question, what does it mean to pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth that it is in heaven? What is the implication and application of praying thy kingdom come? What does that mean for us now, in our culture, in our world? And so this is what we're looking at. And so before we even get into that, I want to define what we're talking about when we mean kingdom. Because kingdom is a huge theme throughout scripture. The kingdom of God occurs 68 times in 10 different New Testament books alone. The kingdom of heaven occurs 32 times in Matthew alone. And that's not even including the Old Testament. And so the kingdom of God is a huge theme throughout scripture. And people in the kingdom are influenced by the governing reign of the kingdom. And what this means is that our culture will be shaped by the king. What the king values, he will implement in our culture. And so what that means for us is who do we want as king? Do we like the leaders that we have now as king? Do we like the world the way it is? And our response to praying thy kingdom come is an obvious no. We want Jesus as king reigning. We want our world shaped by Jesus' characteristics. What Jesus values, we want our world to value. And so to define the kingdom of God, what we're talking about is the visible and physical reign of Jesus during the millennium after the second coming and the perfect universal reign of God in heaven after the last judgment. And so for our purposes, what we're talking about is when we pray that kingdom come, we are asking that his kingdom will be on earth as it is in heaven, that Jesus would be king. That's what we're praying. And so in light of this prayer, I have three responses for the rest of this talk. Three responses in how we pray thy kingdom come. And the first is this. When we pray thy kingdom come, we are anticipating the kingdom. This is a revolutionary prayer. And it's revolution, <coughs> excuse me. And it's revolutionary because the second you live in one kingdom and you say, I want that kingdom to come and overthrow this kingdom, you become a rebel. You become a revolutionary. And so Jesus, he's making rebels out of us. We're not just saying we want to go to another kingdom. We're saying, no, you come and renovate and take over this kingdom because we know yours is better. And we see throughout Matthew that the kingdom of God was a huge theme in Jesus' ministry. In Matthew 9.35, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
So you see the kingdom of God, I mean, that's just two examples, but the kingdom of God is a huge ministry reason why Jesus was here. He was here proclaiming the kingdom. He was here proclaiming it. And so when we say we're anticipating the kingdom, we are anticipating the kingdom of God partly because it gives us a great hope and a real real future. It gives us a real hope and a future reality. Let me say it like that. And so if you would, turn to Isaiah chapter 65 with me. We're going to be in Isaiah 65 for the remainder of this talk. Because Isaiah 65 paints a beautiful picture of the coming new heaven and the new earth. The new kingdom. And we're just going to look at a couple verses. And it will reveal to us the hope we have in a future kingdom. Where Jesus is king and has completely renovated and destroyed the oppression of sin on this earth now. So let's start with something fun. Isaiah 65, 25. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain. So what this verse is essentially saying is that the animal kingdom, which is now broken, right? You go and pet a lion and, you know, bad things happen. Um, what it's saying is that the animal kingdom and its brokenness will be renovated back to its perfect state before the fall. So, uh, for example, Chamilla and I, we were watching a show the other night, and this guy, he had a pet tiger, and I was like, in the kingdom of God, I'm going to pet a pet, I'm going to have a pet tiger. And she was like, huh, what, watch the show. But it's true, because in the kingdom of God, animal kingdom will be renovated back to its perfect state. And here's the thing, and this is me interpreting now, I believe there will be no rat infestations in the kingdom of God. I think that's a result of the fall. I think there will be baby kitten infestations. When we hear the baby kittens in the walls, we'll say, what do we do? I don't know. Let's give them a home. Let's give them milk, a warm place to stay, someone to snuggle with. Let's do that. And for those of you in the room who are like, ew, baby kittens, Ryan Pale's in the back. Go talk with him so we can discuss your sanctification. Um, Because that's adorable. That's what we got to look forward to. And, and this is me really interpreting now, maybe they are rat infestations, but maybe it's that rat. That is a... Pikachu, for those of you non-millennials in the room. Um, Or, and I'm just going crazy with interpretation here, maybe it's a mix between the two. I don't know. But what I do know is in the kingdom of God, the animal kingdom is renovated back to perfection before the fall. And that's pretty exciting because I'm an animal lover. I'm excited to snuggle with a tiger. I don't know about you, but maybe that's just me. And a bear, but not rats. Um... So we look at our world, and we see that there is a true brokenness, a true oppression of sin. And, you know, the animal kingdom, it's fun to look at that. Um, But the reality is, if we look at the brokenness in our world, it's it's heartbreaking. We see death. We see tragedy. Um, One of my best friends, he he and his wife have been trying to have a baby uh, for a couple of years now. And they were pregnant about three years ago, and in their second trimester, they lost the baby. Um, About a year later, they were pregnant again, and the same thing happened. In the second trimester, they lost the baby. And they're actually pregnant again right now, entering entering into their second trimester. And he was talking to me and another friend, and this guy asks him, what if the same result happens? And my friend responded with, then I will still say, God is good. And he took us to this verse in Isaiah 65, verse 20. When it says, no longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his days. And this is the hope, as he began to explain, this is the hope that he has, that there is coming a day when he will see his children in a glorified state. 
and they will be worshiping Jesus together, and there will be no death, and there will be no worry of death. This is the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the promised kingdom that is to come, that there is a day when there will be no death, when we will not grow old and die, when we will not see death of those who are young. It will be renovated back to a perfect state. And so this is the hope that we, church, have for humanity. And so as we look at this world, we, don't, we, all, we also see, aside from death, we see people abuse people. Um, another report I was reading in the UNICEF, which is a crazy acronym, um, that in 2016, 25,846 refugee children tried to cross into Europe via the Mediterranean. Nine out of ten of these were minors under the age of 16 crossing without an adult. Three quarters of these children were abused by an adult on their journey. That's about 18,000 if you do the math. And I read that, I think that's messed up. That's sick. There's something wrong with our world if a man sees a child and thinks that's an opportunity. But it's happening in America too. The National Children Alliance says that right now in our country, the average age that a woman enters prostitution is 13. And our best estimates are 300,000 young girls right now between the age of 12 and 17 are being used for trafficking for money right now in our country. And I read that and I think, using children for money... How, I mean, that's messed up. That's sick. That's not right. Our world is so broken. We see relationships that are broken. We see families that are broken. We see people abuse people. And I think, how can someone look at someone who is made in the image of God and think that's an opportunity for my own gratification? We look at this world and there is a clear sense of brokenness. There's a clear sense of abuse. And I think to myself as I read excuse me, as I read Isaiah 65, 19, he says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. You see, this is the hope we have for the abused, that one day there will be a kingdom, there will be a place where there is no cry, where there is no distress. And Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy, heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. That is our king who looks at the abused and says, Come to me, and I will give you rest. Come to me. And that is the king we want. And so we pray thy kingdom come in great anticipation that this world will be shaped by a king who is kind, a king who is compassionate, and a king who loves the marginalized, who loves the abused. That is the king that we want, and that is the kingdom we want. We have great hope in a future kingdom. And I feel like we hear that, and I feel like we get really passionate. And I would say, man, fuse that passion into your prayers. Now, I recognize that this is a very passive response. It's good to anticipate, and it's good to hope. But these next two responses are two active responses in light of praying, thy kingdom come. So we're anticipating the kingdom, and then number two, we are representing the kingdom. This is a transforming prayer. Um, So to explain this, when I came on staff as an intern at Grace, we would take these Monday morning classes. And uh, our pastors, Matt, Blake, uh, Brian, they would come in every Monday and they would teach us theology. And one of the first things they told us was this phrase, God seeks to establish his kingdom on earth through human representation. And at first I didn't really understand what that meant. But throughout that year, as they kept saying it, as they kept saying it, the weight of that expectation really dawned on me. So let me elaborate. When Jesus was on earth the first time, 
when Jesus was on earth, he, uh, he offered the kingdom. He offered it presently, right there. He said, it's here. Do you want it? And they all said, no. If you remember from what Matt talked about a couple weeks ago, they rejected the kingdom and instead they crucified him. So the kingdom is not here right now. However, what Jesus has done is he has inaugurated the kingdom. He has begun the kingdom process. And so when you think about thy kingdom come, think of it in three phases. One, Jesus has inaugurated the kingdom. He has begun the kingdom come process. Two, Jesus is currently using the church to usher in the kingdom. And three, Jesus will finalize the kingdom. In other words, the kingdom will be here. And right now we are living in number two. Jesus is using the church to usher in the kingdom. And so to say God seeks to establish his kingdom on earth through human representation is to say that if God said to the world, if you want to see a picture of what my future kingdom would look like, look at the church. That's a pretty scary statement if you think about it. Because I think, for me at least, I hear that and a weight of shame just covers me. Because I don't really do that well. I don't think I represent the church or represent the kingdom very well. And my guess is a lot of us think that of ourselves. But I would take us to John chapter 21 when Jesus meets with Peter after Peter had his great sin. And he deals with Peter's sin and then he uses Peter to start the church. You see, Jesus had kingdom business to attend to and he used the fallen man to do it. And Jesus wants to use you and I to do the very same thing. And so whatever sin we're dealing with, let's deal with it and let's move forward because there's kingdom business to attend to. Let us not let shame weigh us to the point where we do not serve Jesus and represent his kingdom. Let's deal with our sin and let's move on. So to elaborate more on this, in Isaiah 35, 5 through 6, it says, The eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And this is talking about the future kingdom. Now, what did Jesus do when he was on earth? He did that. He healed the blind. He healed the lame. He healed the mute. And so what these miracles did was, yes, they showcased the divinity of Jesus as God, but they also showcased kingdom blessings. In other words, when Jesus healed the blind, he was essentially saying, in the kingdom, there is no blind. So he was representing kingdom blessings. And then Jesus, he tells his disciples to do the very same thing. In Matthew 10 through 6, he says, Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. So what he's saying here is do what I have just done. Go and perform miracles and say the kingdom is at hand. So how does that apply to us? Well, for the most part, most of us won't be casting out demons or healing lepers. Maybe some of us, I don't know. But for the most part, none of us will be doing that. So how then do we reflect the kingdom? Well, it's with our actions. You see, this prayer is a prayer of transformation because when the kingdom comes, everything is changed. Marriages are changed. Families are changed. Friendships are changed. And so my question to us and to myself would be, What actions are we doing to represent the kingdom? And don't hear me incorrectly. There is nothing we can do to lose salvation. So don't hear me say, if we don't do enough actions, we lost. You didn't. I would just challenge us to represent the kingdom in our compassion to others, our compassion to the marginalized, our compassion to our enemies. How do we respond to pain? 
Do we give sacrificially and freely? Do we love the immigrant and do we love the refugee? Because I want to live my life in a way that showcases the kingdom and the king. I want to showcase his attributes. So I don't want to look at women online because in God's kingdom, there is no objectification. So you see this prayer is a prayer of transformation. We are transformed into looking like the character of our king. So when Jesus changes us, we are transformed in our sanctification. We become more like him. As it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Man, church, that's how I want us to live. And whatever we do, we do for the glory of God. So Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he lays out this kingdom ethic. And if we're living a life that represents this kingdom ethic, not only will we be blessed, as it says in the Beatitudes, but even beyond that, we are exhibiting and living out the kingdom ethic that the world will see a new kingdom lifestyle. And this brings me to my last point. And it's we are proclaiming the kingdom. This is a missionary prayer. Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. So you see, the gospel that we have in Jesus, the hope that we have in a future kingdom, we take that from this room and we take it to the community and to the nations. And so to start, where in your sphere of influence can you proclaim the king? Is it at your school students, at your work When you drop your kids off to soccer practice and you just stay and talk to the parents, where is it? For some of you, you just, you have passions for a people group that you want to minister to. And I would say follow that passion. For example, for some of you, you have a passion to make Jesus known to international students. I would say talk to crew, talk to bridges. Some of you, you have a passion to make Jesus known to women who are pregnant and scared and they don't know what to do. Talk to hope pregnancy. For some of you, you have a passion for the marginalized. Talk to the bridge. All of these things are in College Station. There are areas of opportunity where we can meet the need. For some of you, you have a passion for missions. I would say give freely and sacrificially to missionaries. Or, and this is what happened to me, maybe you have a passion for missions because he's calling you to go overseas and you're a missionary and you just don't even know it yet. Where do your passions lie? Now, here's where I believe the tension lies. I think we can all get on board with that. I think we can all look at this world and say, yeah, this world is broken and they need Jesus. And we can go to the marginalized and we can say, yes, let's share Jesus to the marginalized. But what about the abuser? What about the murderer? And I heard a pastor illustrate it this way. He said, what if Jesus looked down to the earth and he said, okay, I'm going to wreck shop. I'm taking out all those who murder. And he just takes them out. And a lot of us, we'd be like, yeah. Take him out, wreck shop, yeah. And then he says, and all those who abuse, I'm taking them out. I'm just wiping them out. A lot of us would be like, yes, take them out, God, wipe them out. And he says, all those who lie, I'm taking them out. And we're like, yeah, wait a minute, hang on. And then he says, all those who judge, I'm taking them out. And we're like, you know, I, grace, you know, what? come on. And suddenly we realize that the expectation to which God would have us live, we all fall short. From the liar to the murderer, we are all enemies of God, and we all fall short. So what do we do with that? Well, it's nothing we can do, but it's what's been done for us. You see, God looked on this earth. He saw enemies of him, rebels of him, and he looked down with compassion. And so Jesus came to earth and lived a sinless, perfect life as fully God and fully man. 
He was persecuted and then killed on a cross, taking the punishment that we deserved. And then, three days later, he rose from the grave, effectively conquering sin, defeating sin once and for all, that whoever believes in him through Jesus will meet that standard and we will be reconciled to the Father. As it says in Romans 5.10, For if while we were, excuse me, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his death, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So God looked in the world and saw enemies of him. And what he did is he, through Jesus, made an enemy into a friend. He made an enemy into an ally. And to illustrate this, in Nepal, uh, and this is happening right now in Nepal. In Nepal, there have been these earthquakes that have hit these villages. And these villages, in great desperation, have said, we will traffic our kids out. We will sell our kids out to trafficking in return for money and food and a way of living. And what's happened is these Christians in Nepal, they partnered with Asian Access, and they went into these villages, and they started giving food. They started sharing the gospel, and people started to come to know Jesus, and they stopped selling their children. However, a leader in one of these villages did not like that, and so he started killing these Christians. But as he killed them, more would come. He would kill them, and then more would come. And this happened for about a year until this man finally came to know Jesus. And this man, he ended up selling out all of those who he knew were part of this trafficking. And he, excuse me, and what he did is he started to rescue children in other villages from trafficking. He started to go to other villages, and these leaders came to know Jesus. And this man, what he did is he started a revolution that saved children. And so what happened was God looked at this man who was clearly an enemy of him. He made him a friend. He made him an ally. And this man who was once a seller of children became a rescuer of children for the sake of the gospel. And this man then went and proclaimed the gospel to others who were selling children. And these leaders came to know Jesus. And what's the heart of it? It is all Jesus. And so God didn't just look at this guy and kill him off. He made an enemy into a friend. And so we make the gospel known to our enemies, to our friends. We make the gospel known from the liar to the murderer, from the abused to the abuser. And we trust the Lord with the results. But our job is to proclaim the king. As uh, C.S. Lewis writes in his book, Surprised by Joy, he says, I did not then see what is now the most shining and obvious thing, the divine humility which will accept a convert even on such terms. The prodigal son at least walked home on his own feet. But who can duly adore that love which will open the high gates to a prodigal who is brought in kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance of escape? The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of man, and his compulsion is our liberation. So C.S. Lewis was an atheist who was trying to disprove God. And in this process, he met two men, George MacDonald and J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote the Lord of the Rings series. Um, And as he got to know them, they built a friendship with one another. And these two men started to represent Jesus and proclaim Jesus to him. And after many, many months, possibly years, C.S. Lewis would write to his friend, Arthur Greaves, saying, I have just passed on from being a skeptic of God to a believer in Jesus Christ. And this is my favorite part. My long night with Tolkien had a great deal to do with it. And so God looked at a man who was an enemy of him, and instead he transformed him into one of the 20th century's great theologians. And he used two men to do it. So you see, we 
are those that God uses to make his kingdom known. We make his kingdom known to the oppressed, to the marginalized, and to the abuser, and to the murderer. We make his kingdom known. And until he returns, I want to reflect the king. And let me tell you, he is coming. And he is coming to renovate and restore. Just like we sang earlier, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Because he is coming. And one day this earth will be completely renovated back to the state it was in before the fall. And Jesus will be king. And the world will know his character and reflect the king. But until that day, we have a job, church, to make Jesus known. We have a job to anticipate and bring the hope that we have in the king to this world by representing and proclaiming the king. As it says in Isaiah sixty-five seventeen, For behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or even come into mind. This is the hope that we have, that one day this sin, this death, this brokenness, it won't even come into our mind because we will be in glorification with the Father. Isaiah sixty-five twenty-four. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Jesus, he starts off the Lord's Prayer by saying, Our Father. And let me tell you, that is what a good father does. He is there before we even call. He says he's listening, and while they speak, I will hear. And I love that because he is so involved in our well-being before we have a chance to even say help. That is the king. That is the God we want. And so, man, let us pray and great anticipation for his kingdom to come. But until then, let's reflect reflect that God who calls himself Father and loves us so dearly. We have a job to take the gospel to the community and to the nations. And so I would ask you, what part do you play in that? Reflect and think about what part I play in making his kingdom known. The last thing of the kingdom, anticipated Anticipate it because we are sons and daughters of the king. Represent it because we are ambassadors of the king. Proclaim it because we are advocates of the king. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for being a God who saved us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We praise you for being a God who, as your scripture says, you hear before we even speak. You are a God who is so attentive to our needs and who loves us so dearly. And so, Lord, we do anticipate your kingdom. We anticipate a kingdom where there is no brokenness in this world. And so until then, Lord, we ask that we would reflect. We ask that we would represent. We ask that we would proclaim your kingdom, God. And as we personally struggle, Lord, as we personally have pain, may we have hope in a future reality that is your kingdom where there will be no more pain, where there will be no more worry or anxiety, God. And so, God, we praise you for being a God who loves. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.